Outer Banks, Outer Banks, John B, John B, John B, B, B. Great intro. I finished watching Outer Banks this week. Oh boy, not uh, not my favorite show of all time. I enjoyed season one. How many seasons are there? Four seasons? I don't know. Um, four seasons, three seasons, whatever. The great John, Big John, appeared today. He's one of the most insufferable uh, today in the series, most insufferable characters in TV history of all time. The plot made minimal sense, introduced random characters that didn't have much value. Not my favorite show, but the show did lead me to that great intro because I was watching a good show, The Last of Us, which isn't about zombies. Anytime I hear a show about zombies, I always think about that song. In my head, zombie, zombie, famous song. Not sure who it's written by, which is probably a shame on me. Um, I probably do know, but I don't know the top of my head. And uh, that's a good show, The Last of Us. Quarter step, zombie kind of deal. Apocalypse, very good. Outer Banks, not very good. John B. was supposed to be this exciting you know, John B's dad, this treasure hunting, wielding and dealing dad. He ended up just kind of being a deadbeat dad who at times seemed incompetent. He's kind of like a, uh, 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 an alternative version of Hagrid to an extent. They always shot him in these angles where he looked like he was 85 feet tall and disheveled. I just don't understand the point of it. So I give it a, uh, 2.5 out of 10 stars on that review of that TV series. Won't be watching that again. The Last of Us, amazing show. Uh, right now, it's operating in the upper eights, close to nine. I'm a little, little, uh, how do I put it? Um, a little vulnerable with TV shows because Game of Thrones decided to do what Game of Thrones did to us. And ever since then, I just haven't opened up as much to TV shows. I'm not willing to put them in the nine right away. I got to see them through. I did love Game of Thrones and, you know, I guess love lost is better than not loving at all. It just didn't sit well with me. I didn't, I did enjoy Peaky Blinders, by the way. That's a very good TV show. I'm like late to the party on that. Someone told me, and this helped a lot too, is watch that TV show with subtitles. It, it was a great idea. It really was made Watching it so much easier. The thick accents can be hard to follow at times, especially when they change tones or not tones, but volume. It was made life way easier. So, oh, well, I got my cup of coffee with me today. Um, I did a presentation, a conference talk in Brazil and Curitiba. And I bought this mug there. By the time I think of Curitiba, when we did our initial video that we were coming, I called it Churubita and no one decided to correct me. And they thought it was the funniest thing ever. Because they said, now I'm excited to come to Churubita. Sound like an idiot. And they thought it was hilarious, so they kept it. So when I was there, everyone's like, Churubita. Sure, it's Curitiba, which I'm not sure how I was supposed to know that without any help. I'm not a linguistics major. Swing and a miss on my part. But point is, I'm drinking my coffee, as you can hear, out of this cup I got from there. The famous art museum. The eye or something like that. And uh, 
I will never forget that aspect of being made fun of because I thought it was kind of hilarious too that they'd be willing to keep in someone else who has a butchered uh, accent promoting their uh, program. Um, on top of that, by the way, I have awesome coffee today. The coffee I made, I just make normal. I got this. We've had a tea coffee pot debacle as you guys go and learn, learn a little bit about Max's life here. And we couldn't find one. We bought this electric tea kettle. Works really well. Long story short, I make pour over coffee in the morning. Tastes fabulous. Got one of those fancy looking things that makes it look like a coffee shop. We pour it over. Very neat. Very exciting. But the coffee itself, you want to take it to another level. We have a a little like blender thing, you want to call it. The handheld ones, they put right into the, uh, the coffee mug cup thing and it will blend the milk up and make it foamy. A foamer, is that the right word? Foam, foam maker. But what you do is you pour the milk in first for the coffee. You pour a little bit, a little bit of salt and a little bit of maple syrup. Then you foam it and you have some amazing latte-like coffee. So it's it's so good. Um, little fun fact. Last but not least, some of the updates here. The newsletter comes out. Yeah, the newsletter comes out today. Yeah, it's today. You will hear this today. I was going to say maybe by the time you hear this, it's tomorrow. Nope, you'll hear it today. I'll put this up. comes out today. Amazing. Unbelievable amount of response from people wanting to sign up to that thing. I, I didn't know people would want to sign up to that. I had no idea. Um, but apparently people did. And you guys might want to as well. People have been listening to this podcast a little bit more. Feel free to share this podcast. Sometimes it's about strength conditioning. Sometimes it's not, apparently. <clears throat> Hopefully, it's just a fun little uh, sit down. We can have and explore some unique topics. But again, check out the, uh, the newsletter and always check out the Always an Athlete team because you can hop my train program. And we had someone the other day, 44 years old, just sent me a video that they dunked, which is amazing. Someone else that same week messaged me that they put on 60 pounds in the bench press, which is also amazing. So just, I'm not sure what kind of program you're going to find someone that can do that. But that's a pretty cool thing. Um, I've been reading a book, by the way, called A Random Walk Down Wall Street. I'm halfway done with it. It's actually a pretty long book. I thought I'd be done with it by now. Got to a torrent pace, and then I slowed down quite a bit. I should read some more today. And I was reading a little bit yesterday about overestimations and people how we innately overestimate ourselves, our abilities to talk about in this terms, financial aspects, because the book's about finance, teach you about certain market aspects. But they're talking about the our inability to estimate our abilities, which I thought was really interesting. And uh, I'm pulling up an excerpt here. If you can hear page flipping in the background, essentially what they did was they talked through several studies discussing people's ability to think about how good of a driver they are and relative to their peers and how they're supreme drivers. They talked about how people when asked about their future careers, Everything was going to be rosy for them, but their roommate, not so much. When people talked about the ability to estimate the Dow Jones within a 99% confidence interval, they were unable to. Essentially, people are horrifically optimistic at times and perceive their abilities to be way better than they are. Now, this is an interesting situation because I think about this a lot on, on the, the Twitter sphere, the social media sphere. I, I watch people post things and I don't always know if what they post is for marketing sake or they actually believe that they're really that elite of a coach. I get you should have confidence 
but there's a fine balance between confidence and overestimation. And you never really want to overestimate your abilities. Sometimes you might put yourself in situations where you're going to test your abilities and you may overestimate them because you know, you're off by a couple percentage points. Oh, I was close, but you don't want to have to go into something where you're just not even close. So what I mean by that is imagine I like ancient Egypt. Imagine you are someone who's an ancient Egypt and you show up for the first time ever and you, oh, this is exactly how the pyramids are made. This is exactly uh, these corridors. This is exactly how X, Y, and Z operated. And you become steadfast in your opinion. And then lo and behold, there's some discoveries that take place that showcase that you were wrong. Now you're in a situation. You either have to admit initially you were wrong and all of your buildup off of that wrongness was built on a faulty support system, or you can just be extremely dogmatic and proclaim the other person's an idiot. Now, this typically happens because someone digs themselves in a rut of of falsehoods, overestimate and confidence in their abilities. If you are, how did I put this politely? I don't want to say, uh, in, if you are able to estimate yourself, but you have confidence to try new things, but at the same time, always appreciative that you might be wrong, knowing like, yeah, I think I'm 70% right. It gives you the realm to expand. So I'm not saying walk around thinking you're incompetent and you have nothing right because you're just doing your best. And I think that's the percentage-based thinking humans have a big issue with. I think we struggle mightily thinking about the um, aspects of our life and fractions. You can be X percent confidence in something. You can apply a program knowing that there's a level of uncertainty with that program. And it's that uncertainty that allows you to grow. It gives you space to grow. So imagine I'll give you guys a geometric example of this. We have a box, a cube, and we have a um, something set up. And I'm going to draw it with you guys so I make sure I get my whatever math this is right. And basically what happens, you imagine you have a box and you predict the area of that box to be 16. So you say the, we'll just say it's a square. The sides are four and four. And you say, oh, the, the area of that box is 16. And I'm 100% sure it's 16. But in reality, the box, if you draw a box around that box, is the true area. Imagine each side is eight. So it's 64. So in one situation, you've built yourself a box. That's a four by four box. And you're, you know, in your head, you're thinking, oh, this is exactly how large the area of this box is. I'm only going to operate within this four by four uh, square. But with inside that four by four square actually sits inside an eight by eight square. And so you think my whole operating realm is four by four. And with 100% confidence, you're going to work in that realm, despite the fact the whole area is eight by eight. So it's 64. And you've missed out on so much. It's four times larger than that of the area you thought it was. And because you're 100% confident, you're never going to explore beyond that four by four. Versus if you have some level of uncertainty, you're going to try to disprove that uncertainty. So you might walk beyond the boundary and go, oh my gosh, look, there is more space here to operate in. And so in a way, we kind of just had a fun little geometry example of how overconfidence can 
put you in a box. <laughs> I deserve an award for that. That was accidental. What an off the glass slam dunk that was. Woo-wee. Overconfidence will put you in a box. And overconfidence gives us a sense of security because innately there's so much unknown. In life, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The next day, you have a trouble explaining what happened in the past. So we are constantly trying to justify ourselves. And that kind of got me thinking a little bit about my next topic. It's the topic of information. You've probably been on the uh, the news sphere at some point in time in your life. And, and there's so much discussion around AI and algorithms and chat GPT and everything out there talking about automation of answers and automation of and I don't call it information, maybe automation of intelligence is the right word. AI should be automated intelligence, not artificial intelligence, because it's not like it's thinking of its own bit of information, but it's just coming up instantaneously with some level of incorrectness. And so it seems what happened was this kind of started with the chat GPT conversation I've had with some people. Um, I have family members who are in big data. And one of the things that comes up is the inability to source where that information comes from. So previously, if you think about the newspaper, we're going to walk through this together. If we have the newspaper, there's a time lag of day to day. You get a newspaper, the information comes out. Now you have a day to figure out whether or not that information is correct. Then previously, maybe we had the radio or we had news. And again, the segments might be hour to hour, six hour windows. Then previously, just the TV news was an hour window. So every time we're upgrading, we're now having more information with less sourcing and quicker turnover time to figure out what that sourcing meant. And now with something like ChatGPT and this automated intelligence, there is zero time to source information. You probably see feel that same way when you go on social media. If you go on anything, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, whatever platform you use, every time you update the app, it gives you a new now, a new bit of information that's in front of you that you can consume. So now we're always obsessively thinking about the now. And as I listened to a Bill Simmons podcast, the maybe most recent one, I'm not sure if they have one today or not. And the person they had on there talk about how we have a lot of trouble remembering stuff. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that we do not have a past anymore. We're constantly judging the now. What's happening now in the news, now in the information. And a lot of it's because the time course of information is so insanely fast, which is why fads come and go at speeds you can't even imagine right now. Remember the liver king? Remember that fad and how that was crazy? You could name carnivore diet. You can name whatever diet you want to imagine. I remember the Adkins diet stuck around for like three, five years. There are books about it. There are Adkins bars. The time course wasn't so fast. Nowadays, time course is so fast. Because of that, and there's always a now, it feels like the attention span is dwindling. So there's no time. Not so your attention span is dwindling. Your attention span is being preoccupied. Evolutionarily speaking, your attention span needs to be attentive, needs to be aware of stuff. It's almost like it's been hijacked and it's constantly trying to be aware of new things that aren't really new, but just being newly presented to you. And with that, you're never able to digest what you just saw in the first place. So then you have this weird groupthink situation where it becomes 
the traditionalists versus the non-traditionalists and someone who's not traditional, they think they have all these unique answers that the traditionalists are blinded by. But ironically, it's just kind of the other side of the same coin. Oh, we, uh, you guys are so silly. You're blah, blah, blah. But really, you know, the, the, I don't want to call it a free thinking group because that's not necessarily the right word. It's kind of a, a group that's been brought together to be anti-establishment. And then within that realm, there's a thought process. And this is all, you can look at this directly parallel to performance training. There's groups that are traditionalists. There are groups that are anti-traditionalists. There are groups that think the traditionalists could never understand them because they've, you know, taken whatever that is a blue pill, red pill, but pill do you take in the matrix? I'm not familiar. I think it's red pill. You take the red pill in the matrix and they, the, uh, the people who are traditional strength coaches could never see what I see. And so it becomes this, hugely incrossable chasm of conversation. And it's the same thing that happens at a macro scale. If you're looking at politics, you're looking at social media, you're looking at conversations. The algorithm then kind of feeds you or you feed yourself either one into that area. And I think a lot of people blame the algorithm, but I think it goes back to us having that lack of, we want that lack of ability to admit that there's something that we might not know and that appraisal situation, like with I've talked about the box situation where it's a four by four box, but in reality it's eight by eight. We seek out justification. We constantly go and read information that reinforces what we're thinking because we know that there is some level of uncertainty in our decisions, whether it's how you invest to how you program. Whatever it might be, we know there's some uncertainty in our decision-making. In order to get over that uncertainty, we try and find ways to fill that gap. And by doing so, we seek out information that reinforces our belief and in hopes that it fills the void of uncertainty that we have. And that's where that whole algorithm then comes back into play because you'll keep engaging with that information. And I don't really think the answer is an algorithm. The answer is probably more the ability to think and have discourse and levels of uncertainty. And uncertainty is okay nowadays. It seems, I don't know, maybe I wasn't alive back in the olden days, but uh, there's always innately some level of uncertainty. And uncertainty isn't polarizing. It's not reinforcing. It's not giving you confidence. It doesn't make you feel good. We tend to gravitate towards things that make us feel good. We'll gravitate towards conversations with coaches who reinforce our beliefs. We'll gravitate towards people who like the same sports that we do. We gravitate towards people who have the same interests, but we often don't venture into areas then once we have gone into that one area of interest that contradict our area of interest because we like to fill and build that wall of uncertainty uh, to keep out the uncertainty, I should say. We build a, a almost a moat to keep us feeling okay and comfortable. And you see that so often in the performance realm. And granted, I, I wrote this kind of in a more macro thought as I kind of adjusted some information. But I think the moral of the story is really important. Because if you listen to this or you listen to other stuff I say, I might say I try and be have some level of uncertainty. But social media has become almost more adamant. You look at all the titles, whether it's on YouTube 
the news, information you gather, things that are trending. They challenge your ability to decipher the truth. I don't want to call the truth, but the level of confidence in the statement. And even if we had experts in every field give us bits of information, they too probably have some level of uncertainty. It, within that, as I stutter, go give the eh, scratch the record and 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 kind of thing. My bad, I apologize for that. Try to talk a little slower here. <laughs> well, one of the things that comes up is that with that level of uncertainty, that's where we can actually build out from. If you have some level of uncertainty, you can grow in that area and you can expose yourself to new aspects in that area that you wouldn't otherwise. And that area might help maybe reinforce certain area that you had before or tear certain things down in the past. But it will give you a, at least some guidance to begin to search for information. So I make a newsletter to share some stuff. As I do it, I have uncertainty whether people are going to sign up, whether people like it, whether people are going to engage with it. I make a podcast where I essentially talk in the middle of my kitchen in the morning and hope people engage with it, think about it. Um, I want to be able to continue to provide fun stuff and unique stuff, but hopefully some different observations and conversation pieces beyond just the traditional strength conditioning realm. So we dove into uh, a couple of topics here. I, I gave you guys a little bit of an outer bank spiel and some conversations of uncertainty. And if you guys enjoy these, feel, feel free to reach out and let me know. I'll continue to do stuff like this and share some of my notes throughout the day. I'll try to keep them short and sweet. I don't want to go beyond 25, 20 minutes. Well, this is already beyond 20 minutes, I think. I don't want to go beyond 30 minutes of a podcast because I want to keep it to a topic. I uh, appreciate you guys listening as always, and maybe I'll get some guests on here in the future. I enjoy uh, doing these, and I hope you guys enjoy listening too. So thanks.